Over the past several years, when we talk about the situation in northern Nigeria, it often invokes negative images of Boko Haram, a terrorist group responsible for kidnapping of hundreds of children and committing atrocities that instill fear. The impacts of these violations have long-lasting impact on the civilian population that will be felt for generations to come and are now extending into other West African nations. Today, we talk to three Nigerians of different perspectives on their efforts to prevent violations against children and to build peace and security in Nigeria. We will begin this conversation with the Nigerian army itself. The Nigerian army, and by implication, the armed forces of Nigeria, and Nigeria as a country frowns at the use of children in armed conflict. And with that, I welcome you to another edition of the CPS podcast. I am Amara Bangura. CPS podcast is brought to you by the Delea Institute for Children, Peace and Security, a global leader in preventing the recruitment and use of child soldiers. The Boko Haram conflict in northeastern Nigeria has claimed thousands of lives, displaced millions of citizens, and has left million others with lifelong bitter memories of that conflict. Like in any other conflict situation, children in that part of the world have been disproportionately affected. They have suffered some of the worst forms of violations. They are targeted by Boko Haram militant group, abducted from their schools and homes and given guns to fight. So what is the Nigerian security sector doing to protect children from recruitment? We reached out to Major General James Ataguba, the Chief of Standards and Evaluation of the Nigerian Army. Um, General, thank you for joining me, and it's so good to have you. So let's jump into this straight away. Um, when we talk about preventing the recruitment and use of children in conflict, straight up, Nigeria comes to mind because of the conflict situation, especially in the north. Now, what are you doing to protect children? Uh, let us first and foremost uh, understand the situation in the Nigerian context. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, the armed forces, including the Nigerian army, do not in any way engage children when it comes to uh, conflict. That's we don't recruit anyone mm-hmm. below the age of 18. This is set out in all our recruitment procedures, mm-hmm. our recruitment guidelines. So there's no member of the armed forces that can be accused of recruiting children. And so that aspect is fully taken care of because of the lay down uh, standards for recruitment of both officers and soldiers. But there is also the issue of Boko Haram um, kidnapping children. What efforts have you put into that? I'm sure you have heard of the thousands of Boko Haram that are surrendering. Mm-hmm. As at now, there are close to 18,000 active combatants, their wives and children who have surrendered to the forces. What this entails is that all the instruments that have been brought to bear is yielding dividends. So it's not only in killing, but also using such other propaganda machineries to reach them to know that conflict in itself cannot be achieved through kinetic means. And so it's only coming to the round table that this can be achieved. And this is yielding dividends as a sin from the mass surrendering of Boko Haram uh, insurgents. And we believe that at the rate we are going, in no distant future, the terrorists or terrorism in itself 
mm-hmm. to become a thing of the past. Then for uh, dealing with children who have uh, found themselves being recruited by uh, the terrorists, mm-hmm. the terrorists or the adversaries, so to say, uh, we try to build capacity so that when our soldiers encounter them on the other side, when they apprehend them, or when they are caught in between the firefight, they know how to respond appropriately to them. Because as you know, the terrorists do not obey any rule, but as much as possible, we do sensitization to the locals and encourage the locals when children fall victim, how best to deal with them. And that was what necessitated uh, the signing of the MOU with your organization uh, to help build our capacity. And building our capacity is essential. So talking about all what you are doing to prevent the use of child soldiers, what have we learned over the years in terms of your work in preventing this? Uh, one thing that has, uh, we have learned is first and foremost, children become vulnerable when they have not been appropriately captured in societal development uh, uh, programs. For instance, children who are out of school, children who are uh, in forced labor, children who are in one form of deprivation or the other are more vulnerable. And so at the governmental level, efforts are on to ensure that uh, children are positively engaged to avoid a situation where they become vulnerable uh, to being recruited. Because sometimes it's forced recruitment. Sometimes they find ways of enticing them. And of course, as you know, children have very, very, uh, they don't have a mind of their own. Their minds are so young, so they are vulnerable to influences here and there. And so at the government level, at our own level, and that's why we also engage uh, civil military coordination activities. The chief of army staff, uh, Lieutenant General Farouk Yaya, has also gone a long way in empowering units and formations, especially those who are uh, carrying out kinetic activities to ensure they reach out to the population, especially the vulnerable kids, to empower them, build schools, uh, renovate schools, uh, you know, things that will take the kids off the street. That way, they will not be left at the whims and caprices of uh, non-state actors. Mm. Uh, you also mentioned that um, um, you signed an MOU with the Delaire Institute. Tell me, how significant is this in terms of your capacity building? Delaire uh, Institute is at the forefront of the prevention and use of child soldiers. This they've been doing for a very long time. So they, are, they have the capacity, they have the expertise. And so engaging with the Delaire Institute goes a long way in helping us to build capacity that we already have. For instance, we run courses in Matenduda in comprehensive protection of civilians. So children are captured in this aspect. So by going into this uh, collaboration with the Lair Institute, our capacity is further built and that helps a long way in helping us to develop other means of impacting knowledge on those who come to the center either for courses or for even pre-induction courses, because all pre-induction courses for our UN missions and other regional organizations, sponsored missions, go through Martin Luther Y. 
And that is a perfect opportunity for us to impact the knowledge that we have gained from the Lay Institute and such other organizations on those who will now go out to help in conflict resolution in the missions. Interesting. And if you have one thing to share with the world in terms of what you are doing and what you have achieved, what, what would it be? Uh, I think it is a fantastic opportunity because most times a lot of things are taken out of context and misunderstood from the African continent. One thing I've mentioned here is that one, the Nigerian armed forces do not recruit children into the armed forces. Two, we have also developed uh, capacities and that's why we have exchange of uh, students with other centers of excellence to learn from their own uh, activities and how some of these things have been done vis-a-vis how we are doing it uh, and learning lessons from their own ways of doing some of these things. It is equally worth noting that the Nigerian army and by implication, the armed forces of Nigeria and Nigeria as a country frowns at the use of children in armed conflict. You have heard of mass abduction and so many other sundry issues that we have been working around the clock mm-hmm. to address. So it is very, very critical to note that the issue of child soldier or use of children in armed conflict needs to be addressed holistically at the government level, at other institutional level like the armed forces, and equally in close liaison with a non-governmental organization like yours. Well, as we would say in our local language, I'm happy for a year from you. It's my pleasure too. It's really a pleasure hearing from you. Thank you so very much for highlighting all the important issues that you have raised. That was Major General James Atagubad, the Chief of Standard and Evaluation of the Nigerian Army. Now, every child has the right to a normal childhood. Yet, all too often in conflict situations, children are helpless witness of horrible atrocities. Children living in conflict zones across the world continue to come under attack on a shocking scale. From widespread killing, to maiming, abduction and sexual violence to recruitment into armed groups. As General Delea would say, they fight like soldiers and die like children. Parents, relatives and friends with children knows the pains of losing a child. But what about those who have been fortunate to escape or rescued from the militant group? What is life like for them and what can the community do to support them to become useful citizens? We invited Asha Zana Mustafa of the Future Powers, a locally based organization in northeastern Nigeria that provides support for children rescued from the Boku Haram, and Nigerian born Lieutenant Commander Padre Matthew of the Canadian Armed Forces, who has also been supporting the Delia Institute's work in Nigeria. Now, Asha and Padre Matthew, thank you both for taking your time to join us. Um, I'll start with you, Asha. You said your organization worked with um, children released by Boko Haram or freed from the hands of Boko Haram. Explain, how do you get in contact with these children? But, you know, these children, when they come back from the forest, so a lot of them escape. Some of them are released. So when they're released back into the society, the first connection they have with the society is the soldiers. So when the soldiers go, go and then check them out, they, what they do is they let them back in the camps. We have actually 
liaisons in the camp who tell us that okay we have a new students coming back or new children back from the forest and so we make sure that you know where the first people they meet in the society or you know the first connection they make with the society because the reality is that a lot of these kids come back and there's a lot of stigma and a lot of resistance a lot of distrust that goes on between even them and their parents not even talking about the society so we want to make sure that you know we create a balanced position before we actually allow the kids back into the society so that's how we get them sometimes actually they come to meet us you know youths the little bit older so they'll be loitering around actually if some of them don't even have families what we do is actually place them with families inside the society like in the community we live in I have a lot of questions to ask you around this work, but I'd like to hear from uh, Matthew here. And like I said earlier, I know this is an issue that hits very close to the heart because it's your home and you've been working there with the Delaire Institute. What do you think of the situation uh, that Asha just explained here? Well, the, the, the issue of um, the involvement of children in armed conflicts is a tragedy for the world. Um, if we're going to have a world that's going to be you know, peaceful and sustainable, having children involved in an, in an armed conflict is a, is a disaster. But also, I am impressed with what um, the work that I share and the foundation does, because that work is irreplaceable. They are giving these kids hope. They are doing work that no other person can do. And for that, we are you know, very, very grateful. But also what the Institute is doing is fantastic because the Institute approaches this issue from different dimensions. Mm -hmm. And it is important we're focusing on the security sector actors, trying to prepare us to be aware of this issue. And then when we deploy and encounter children to understand that kids are victims and because sometimes uh, without this awareness and this orientation, when security uh, sector actors encounter children in armed conflicts, they treat them as combatants. They treat them as their enemies. You know, so this awareness is so important. The first time, as General Dallas says, the first time that a soldier should encounter a, you should um, get to know about this issue. It shouldn't be the time that you encounter a, a child in the field. That would be a disaster, both for the child and also for the soldier, uh, you know, uh, who encounters the child. So, so in other words, it, emphasizing on the importance of preparing the soldiers before they go wherever they have to encounter children. Yes, preparation is important. However, I will use the word prevention because mm -hmm. what we do by preparing soldiers is to ensure that we prevent this disaster. But what people forget is that prevention is even less expensive. It is cheaper. It saves life um, because these kids are force multipliers. Because what happens is that the conflict gets more violent. It prolongs for a, lo a longer time. It becomes intergenerational. So prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, thank you very much for that. Actually, I have to go back to you on this. You raised several important issues. You said these children sometimes when they are freed or when they escape, they come back to you. Um, explain to me what stories are you hearing from them? When they come, what are they telling you? Yes, like there's a boy I met. He, when he was abducted, like he was a teenager. I don't have a specific age. But he was like, all the education he knew was from them. So, and then suddenly he was like, they abducted a woman who came to stay with him. You know, when they stay with them, the way the boy was saying is that they were just packed in a, a corner and they have to fend for themselves, protect themselves. 
And when soldiers attack, they're actually used as human shields. So, and some of them are being trained. So for the boy specifically, he said, you know, he was being trained and that was it. He was actually a child soldier. And then he was talking to me about how a woman was abducted. They brought her to him. And it was like the first time someone was actually like nurturing kind to him. So she tried to escape with him. The day they tried to escape, they got caught and she was slaughtered in front of him. I think for him, he was like, that was the first moment that he actually started feeling like, okay, there was something wrong and he kept trying to escape. And when he came back, he actually wanted to go back to Goza, where his mother was. We all know this. When these children come back to the communities, there is the problem of stigma. There is the problem of fear. There is the problem of rejection. In your case, um, how are these children received in your community? Sincerely, they're not received kindly. Like, a lot of them are being rejected. A lot. People actually say, like, you know, use sayings that, oh, they've actually killed somebody. So it has become a norm for them. They would still kill. They actually just give up on them. But in reality is that what I, when I look at these kids, a lot of them are being put into those situations. They're victims. And if, if you're going to treat them as if they're perpetrators, it's unfair. It's really, really unfair because if we actually train them on the good side, they can actually help stop the war or stop the insurgency or anything because it's, they're, the, they're the ones that can tell their stories best. But at the same time, if we reject them, they don't feel connected to the society. And it's like they're holding on to these years of being going up and, you know, the rejection, it grows up and they feel disconnected with society and come back to still attack the same society. Mm. What do you think, uh, Matthew? I see you are nodding your head there. Sure, it, it's um, it, it's no-brainer. Uh, if we're going to have um, uh, a society that we thrive and prosper, we cannot have a percentage of this or the future of the society being trapped in this vicious circle. Every individual child matters, but also the, the society at large. You know, we came from a tradition where the individual lives for the society because I am because we are. But when we don't care about the I, how can we have a way? It's not gonna. It's, it's not gonna work. Are we satisfied with living with this uh, vicious circle? And we're gonna have a generation of you know children that's uh, because of um, issues that I, that they couldn't control now become where, you know, they're treated as enemies of your society. And if you treat them that way, they're going to be enemies anyways. So it is in the interest of the society to actually look into this and for all of us, whatever we can do, coming from different sectors, to be able to uh, work to contend this issue. And it's also an issue for the international community because... I mean, if you look at different parts of the world where we see uh, insurgencies and where children are at risk, it is not only uh, a, a military issue. No, because it's also a social issue. It's also an economic issue. It's an educational issue, as I said. So every tool needs to be brought, you know, um, need to be brought to bear in addressing um, the issue of children uh, in income. Ah, and again, um, Asha mentioned that these children mostly are used as human shield, right? And from a security sector point of view, isn't this a problem? Because once one child is used in this form, every other child becomes a suspect in the community, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, if you say, for instance, if uh, a child is used as a suicide bomber, what mm-hmm. happens? Whenever a security sector actor sees a child, immediately... The, the person becomes a suspect. 
see, the person becomes a such, and that is why you know children are killed, you know, you know, endlessly, you know, without really a reason, and people come to find out that actually those are that person was innocent. So it, it is a problem; it endangers the child, but also it causes damage also on the person who attacks the child. A person can claim, can you know, because of, out of uh, because of self defense, but. It doesn't end there. That soldier goes home and continues to grapple, grapple with the moral injuries associated with you know that particular, particular incident. Before you know it, it has caused a lot of harm. We've lost a child, or a child is you know is 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 maimed, but also the and this, the um, the security sector actor or the soldier who engaged that that child is also you know harmed. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is um, lose lose on both sides. Lose. Nobody wins. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Actually, you've been doing this for quite a while now. Um, one would wonder how many kids have been through your program. Yeah, it's an ongoing process. So we, in total, Future Promise has more than now more than four thousand kids, and each one has a different story. Each one is unique in their own. Each one, some have lost their parents, and we have kids from you know the security personnel that the insurgents have killed, and then we have kids of the insurgents too, and we just have victims. We're putting them in the same space and letting them grow together. Because as you know, kids don't hold on to grudges as adults do. Mm-hmm. They, they tend to like, you know, if they trust, they have trusted. And, you know, that's important. So we want them to build this trust and sense of community, sense of family at a very young age with this children that normally if they, you know, with from different angles, if they come, they'll be enemies. As I said, each one has a unique story. So it's ongoing. The stories keep coming. The children keep coming. It's like every day there's a new, you know, child out of the forest. Mm. And and you said sometimes you try to put them together so they can um, interact and get used to each other. Uh, how are they relating with each other? How how is that interaction? Actually, I think I feel like that is one thing that I'm always proud of. That's like I feel like one thing I'm always happy about. It's mm-hmm. that. At first, you bring them, they're a little bit, it takes time. It takes time. It's not It's not a process that happens in one day. You know, at first, they're a little bit worried and everything. But the same unpleasant memories, the trauma brings them together. So they tend to, you know, relate with each other more than the way I would even with them. They learn to open up to each other. I feel like they learn to depend on each other. And you can see how their stories are different, but they come together to just fit. It's, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but they just come together and then forget about their own problems and be who, who they're supposed to be. I, I can see Matthew nodding and smiling. Yes, the, the, the truth is that um, as a chaplain and as a religious leader, there is a, a, an aspect of this issue that is also very, very critical. There are society, for instance, in Nigeria is a society where religion is perversive. Is an is a is a, is, a, is a society where religious figures are they have so much power and influence, and people listen to them. And we have to find a way of reaching out to these religious leaders and try, you know, bringing them on board on issues like this at the local level, uh, or, you know, just going down there because people go to their uh, imams and their pastors and their priests mm. for advice. It is important. And if we, you know, if we have to make an inroad, probably um, getting them on board and trying to sensitize them because at times, 
you know and, and and so 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 that that shows how the environment influences our perceptions it influences all that we do but we need to talk about this it is it is just important we definitely need to talk about it and and i do i, I do appreciate the points that you raised here um from we need to tackle this issue from a security sector point of view but as well as a community um point of view we need to um, work with the local and religious leaders, educate them about the dangers of using children, right? And provide the necessary training um, for the security sector to be able to interact with um, children when they come across uh, children in, in, in conflict zones. Um, Asha, what would be your final word to uh, listeners, to world leaders, to organizations that are listening to us? What do you want to see happen? I want to see change. When I mean I want to see change, I want to see change. Not the one that I've heard, you know, since as a child, they always tell me that change, change. I want to see change happen. For a lot of these kids, they have no other choice. Like we need hope. We need to create an inclusive society for every aspect of the society, the communities have to be open-minded to things they are not usually, the things they usually don't see. Like I see a lot of new demographics coming out of Northern Nigeria. And if they are not controlled, they would become a bigger cancer in the future. And we do not want, my advice to everybody is that open your minds and at the same time, help out. It's a slow process. And some of the positive aspects you're looking for, they're never going to be tangible. They're not going to be tangible, but they'll work out at the end. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, let me hear from, um, if you have to talk to whether organizations or governments um, from a security sector point of view, and given that you understand the work that the Delaire Institute is doing, what would be your um, advice? What's your final word here? My final word is that we must focus on prevention. Prevention. We must focus on prevention. And focusing on prevention requires all stakeholders to get involved. If a soldier is not prepared to encounter children in, 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 on, on the battlefield, the soldier comes back here destroyed. And the child who is encountered becomes a victim. If we're going to have a peaceful society, a peaceful world, the world is now global. What is happening in one place affects what is happening in the other place. If somebody is not in the field, the person cannot say, I can do nothing. So at the policy level, um, you know, governmental level, I, I, you know, we, everybody needs to come on board. As I said, religious leaders, we need to reach out to them because everybody has a role to play. And I am encouraging us not to give up. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it may seem, as Aisha said, as if we're not making any progress. But if we save one child, if we save one child, that is a one child that is not going to, you know, be, you know, become a victim or is not going to battle this intergenerational carnage that we are witnessing. Thank you. Thank you so very much um, for this and really appreciate um, all the contributions that you have made. It's been wonderful talking to you both. And that's it for today's edition of the CPS Podcast. We've learned a lot about the situation of children released or rescued from Boku Haram and the Delaire Institute's partnership with the Nigerian Army. Thank you for being part of this conversation. 
We will be back again next month with another edition of the CPS podcast. So don't forget to join us. If you'd like to listen to this podcast again, please download it and please don't forget to share it. This has been Adelaide Institute's production. Thanks to all those who contributed. Until we meet again, I am Amara Bangura. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day.